It's Monday, June 26th. I'm Trayvell Anderson. And I'm Erin Ryan. And this is What A Day, where we are still basking in the afterglow of pride. You know, it's been a very long month and I'm about ready to hang up my transgender cape and wait for next year. Wait, you guys get capes? You get issued capes? <laughs> That's amazing. On today's show, Greek voters overwhelmingly re-elected their prime minister and his conservative party. Plus, a federal judge has blocked Florida from enforcing its anti-drag law. As they would say in Greece, to me so, which means I hate it. But first, it's been an absolutely wild couple of days in Russia, and that may be putting it lightly. That's because Russia's leadership was staring down the barrel of what had all the hallmarks of a military rebellion, as its most notorious mercenary leader abruptly sent an armed convoy toward Moscow and came within striking distance of the city by the time all was said and done. Oh my God, this was one of the major news stories over the weekend. We all were like, is it a coup? What's happening? We weren't sure. This came and went within the space of about 18 hours. Tell us a little bit about what the hell happened out there. Well, like a lot of uprisings these days, this one started with a shit post on social media. Late Friday, Yevgeny Prigozhin, the leader of the Wagner Group, a private Russian paramilitary company that's been heavily involved in the war in Ukraine, accused the Russian military of staging an airstrike on his own fighters. Prigozhin made the claim on a video posted to the messaging platform Telegram, which is widely popular in Russia and Ukraine. It's become the go-to source for many people in both countries for updates on the war. We don't have all the facts as far as the airstrike is concerned, but it's been widely reported that these soldiers for hire, most of whom are recruited from Russian prisons, have been treated as cannon fodder in Ukraine, especially in the bloody battle for the city of Bakhmut earlier this year. Despite being a close confidant of Russian President Vladimir Putin, Prigozhin has been in a months-long feud with Russia's top military brass, and with the alleged airstrike, he apparently decided enough was enough. He vowed to send 25,000 of his mercenaries on what he called a, quote, march for justice. And a heavily armored convoy of Wagner soldiers quickly crossed over from occupied eastern Ukraine and started making its way north to Moscow. They actually made it within 125 miles of the city before seemingly out of nowhere, the whole thing was called off. Not they called it a march for justice. Choice words there. (laughs) So exactly how did the whole calling off of this happen? Trayvall, I am as confused as you. I woke up on Saturday and I was like, what is happening? And I went to bed on Saturday and I was like, what is happening? (laughs) It is still unclear what made Prigozhin back down. Putin obviously was pretty pissed about this, but in another unexpected turn of events, it appears that the president of neighboring Belarus stepped in to broker a deal. Prigozhin agreed to go to Belarus and, according to the Kremlin, won't face any charges. But what is clear is that no one is coming out of this unscathed. This was one of the most direct threats to Putin's leadership since he's been in power, and it raises many, many questions about what the future brings for Russia. So we called up our good friend, Crooked News contributor Max Fisher, to get the lowdown. He's been covering foreign affairs for a very long time, but right off the bat, he told us he's never seen anything anything quite like this. And to help us make sense of this very bizarre saga, we started off by asking, who is Yevgeny Prigozhin 
Anyway. He got his start, weirdly enough, as Vladimir Putin's personal caterer very early in his career. (laughs) And through a combination of business wheeling and dealing, he managed to build up what is now one of the largest mercenary empires, I guess you could call it, in the world. He runs these mercenary groups that are most prevalent in Ukraine, but they were very big in Syria, where I'm sure you remember Russian forces intervened starting in 2015. Prigozhin ran this thing you might remember called the Internet Research Agency that sowed all of that pro-Trump, anti-Hillary Clinton disinformation that was on Facebook during the election. Mm -hmm. So he is kind of like Putin's guy, but operates very much autonomously in a lot of these countries and especially in Ukraine. Why did he back down? We don't know for sure, partly because we don't actually know exactly what his demands were. I mean, something that he has been saying for a long time is he doesn't like how the war is being run. And he wants Putin to replace Sergei Shogu and Valery Gerasimov or the two leaders of the Russian military with someone else. At some point, he started saying something that sort of implied that he wanted to remove Putin. But I think that was probably just hyperbole. He did at one point in his drive north towards Moscow call this thing called the Rosgardia, which is the Russian National Guard, to rise up and join him. They did not, which might be part of why he didn't push all the way to Moscow. It's also possible he just thought that he got the best deal that he was going to get because 25,000 troops is a lot when so much of Russia is undefended, but it's not really enough to take over an entire country. So, okay, a lot of people are kind of speculating about this, wondering about this. Why do you think Putin let him go instead of doing what Putin usually does to people who challenge him? Prigozhin is not just a liberal dissident off the street. Uh, I mean, he's a fairly powerful guy. So Putin has been trying for a long time to balance this feud between the Russian military and the Wagner Group, whose support and help he needs in Ukraine and a lot of other places. And clearly that fell apart and he failed, but he obviously felt maybe because these some number of thousands of Wagner troops were driving towards Moscow, maybe just because he saw how bad this looked for him domestically at a time when his hold on power is strong, but you know, we never know how strong that he just needed to end it as quickly as he could by making whatever concessions he needed to make. But that said, it's always possible that Prigozhin will end up, you know, falling down an elevator shaft next week. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit more about the Wagner Group itself? What role did they play in Ukraine up until this point? So the numbers are sketchy, but we think that there are about 50,000 fighters with the Wagner Group. And to give you a sense of the flavor of this group, probably about 10,000 of them are hardened, well-trained, special forces-style mercenaries, and probably the rest are people recruited basically straight out of prisons. They have played an important role in the war, but of course the war has been going very poorly for Russia, which is part of why there has been this escalating feud between Prigozhin and the military. Prigozhin has felt that the Russian military has not been properly supplying him and that that has been hurting his troops. He feels that the Russian military was using his troops as frontline cannon fodder to protect regular forces in this long siege that just ended in this town of Bakhmut in Ukraine that went really poorly. It's pretty plausible because the Russian military feels that Prigozhin is undermining their authority because he's such a loose cannon, they feel that he is actually a thorn in their side rather than a help. But to some extent, it's probably just that Russian forces are really undersupplied, stretch really thin. So there's going to be 
a lot of finger pointing, and that has been escalating to the point where Prigozhin is openly criticizing and in some cases working against the Russian military, even though they're on the same sides in this war. He was caught speaking to Ukrainian intelligence at one point. And the big escalation from the Russian military is they finally got Putin to grant them a concession they've been asking for for a while, which is to get all of the Wagner mercenaries to, they say, sign contracts with the Russian military. But that means basically become regular Russian military soldiers rather than acting as this independent force under Prigozhin. So that was a huge threat to him. And is probably everyone's best guess is probably why he felt he had to do this because he was about to have this force taken away from him. So as we're sitting down to chat with you, the latest is that Prigozhin agreed to essentially go into exile in Belarus. So is this a crisis averted for Vladimir Putin right now? Is Putin sleeping any easier or does he still got to watch his back? So the Wagner troops are off the streets. They have pulled back. But something that is not obvious outside of Russia, but that is very keenly known and felt by Russians within the country is that one of Vladimir Putin's most important jobs is to act as the balancer and mediator between all of the power centers in Russia, like the Ministry of Defense and the Wagner Group. I was actually reporting in Russia in 2014, the last time something like this happened. There had been this months-long feud between the FSB, which are the security services, they're like the new KGB, and the autonomous government of Chechnya, which is run by this like pro-Putin warlord figure named Ramzan Kadyrov. They had been fighting openly in the streets in Russia for a long time. And all of a sudden, at one point, as this was escalating out of control, Putin disappeared from public view for like two weeks. And you really felt on the streets in Russia this fear, this real terror, even among dissidents, even among liberal reporters who hated Putin, that because he is the keystone of this system, that if he failed to manage all of these power rivalries or even lost power, the country would collapse into outright civil war, which is a fear that rightly or wrongly is felt very near the surface in Russia. So the big fear that is going to be on the minds of the Russian public and especially other Russian power brokers, the people Putin needs to keep on sides, is was this a case of him successfully mediating a dispute at a really tough time in the war between this loose cannon Prigozhin and his defense ministry, or was it a sign that he really failed because things got this far that there were this many troops on the street? And what are American officials saying about all this? Very little. They are trying their best not to make this about them because they don't want to give Putin any rhetorical ammunition for portraying this as, you know, a CIA plot or anything like that. Mm -hmm. They have said that they got intelligence a couple of days before it happened indicating that Pergozin was planning something like this, which just goes to show how deep this rivalry was, that it, it appears to have been premeditated. So now what does all of this mean for the ongoing war in Ukraine? I mean, it's going to continue to go really poorly for Russia. We are entering a new phase right now where Ukraine, after being on the defensive for a very long Russian offensive against the Ukrainian side, now the Ukrainians are just on the verge of launching a big counteroffensive, which actually makes this timing really interesting because Prigozhin probably knew that because Ukraine was about to launch this big counteroffensive, Russian forces were going to be pinned down in Ukraine and not going to want to leave the front lines to go stop him, you know, in Rostov. Probably this is not going to lead to a seismic change in the war because, as I said, the Ministry of Defense was just on the verge of getting Wagner's forces 
to quote unquote sign a contract, which basically means to become regular Russian troops, which is part of the agreement is that the ones who are not being put into exile because they participated in this are going to now be folded into the regular army. That was our conversation with Crooked News contributor Max Fisher. If you want to hear more about this whole situation, Max recently joined our friends over at Pod Save the World for a special bonus episode. Can't miss it. It's great. Need to hear it. We will, of course, keep a close eye on how this continues to play out, but that's the latest for now. We'll be back after some ads. What a Day is brought to you by Viore. Viore's performance wear clothes are designed to look great no matter what you're doing, both in and out of the gym. And they might be the most comfortable pants I've ever worn in my life. Buttery soft, yes. So soft. Yes. I have on one of their cropped sweaters, and it's a staple now. I don't think I'll be taking it off until next week. But don't judge me. <laughs> I won't judge you. And don't judge me for not working out, but wearing comfortable workout clothes. That is, I feel like, required. That's part of the beauty of Viore. On the couch, in the gym, it still works. I look like I work out <laughs> and like I dress cute when I work out. But in fact, I don't do either. And this is just me dressing normally. Comfortably. That's the flex, though, because Viore is an investment in your happiness. So, for our listeners, they are offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at Viore.com/slash wad. That's V-U-O-R-I.com/slash wad. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to Viore.com/slash wad and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. We're big fans of therapy on here, on the show. We absolutely are. Yeah. We absolutely are because, listen, you're going to need it, okay, to mm-hmm. get through this year ahead of us. And so why not check out BetterHelp to give you the the necessary coping tools, you know what I mean, just to be able to keep on keeping on, mm-hmm. all right? Mm-hmm. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash WAD today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash WAD. What a Day is brought to you by Fast Growing Trees. Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. and offers their 30-day alive and thrive guarantee along with free plant consultation forever. Okay, so this weekend we started planting in our backyard. Mm-hmm. And we're doing some wildflowers. We're also doing some trees we bought from Fast Growing Trees. I would love to tell you what kind of trees they are, but I have already forgotten as soon as I bought them. However, they look great, and I'm very excited to have a backyard that makes it look like I know what I'm doing. Listen, I love Fast Growing Trees because these plants that I have now bought over the last couple years of them supporting this show, I would like to report they are still alive. Okay, and so I officially have a green thumb. You thanks do? Thanks to Fast Growing Trees. That is very impressive. (laughs) To keep them alive that long is very, very impressive. 
Right now, Fast Growing Trees, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code WAD at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using the code WAD at checkout fastgrowingtrees.com code wad offer is valid for a limited time terms and conditions may apply let's wrap up with some headlines headlines Greece's incumbent Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis has been re-elected for a second four-year term. It was the country's second national election in five weeks and also delivered a landslide victory for his conservative New Democracy Party, which now holds an outright majority in the Greek parliament. Though Greece is currently in the throes of a cost-of-living crisis, the outcome of Sunday's election apparently showed that voters were willing to overlook Mitsotakis' shadier dealings in favor of his vision for the the economy. The election comes more than a week after hundreds of migrants are presumed dead after the ship they were on sank in the Mediterranean Sea. It was one of the worst maritime disasters in the region in recent memory and has called Greece's strict migration policy into question. The Greek Coast Guard is also facing scrutiny for not doing enough to help. The end of June is quickly approaching and the Supreme Court is expected to wrap up its term with several major decisions by the end of the week. We're still waiting on how the court will rule on cases dealing with affirmative action, LGBTQ rights, and student debt forgiveness. You know, a few minor inconsequential things we're not worried about at all. In the meantime, on Friday, the court handed down an important decision on immigration policy. In an 8-1 to vote, the justices sided with the Biden administration over how it can enforce existing immigration laws. The case was brought by the states of Texas and Louisiana, which argued that the guidelines put in place when Biden took office somehow prevented immigration authorities from doing their jobs. During the Trump administration, ICE was given broad authority to round up and deport anyone who was undocumented. And considering there are about 11 million undocumented people living in the U.S., even this set of Supreme Court justices recognized that that is just not possible. Under the the new guidelines, the Department of Homeland Security will instead focus their efforts on undocumented people who have recently crossed the border, as well as those who are seen as a risk to public safety. I beg the state governments of Texas and Louisiana to actually do some governing that benefits the people who live in Texas and Louisiana. Mm-hmm. I would love to see that, but I actually don't think they're capable of it. Mm-hmm. They cannot govern. To the surprise of absolutely no one, former President Donald Trump is apparently trying to get his supporters to pay his legal bills again. He's like Dine and Dash just (laughs) as a career. According to a recent report from the New York Times, Trump has been quietly diverting some of the small donations he's received for his 2024 presidential campaign into a separate political action committee that's essentially acting like a piggy bank to play his personal legal fees. It's even spelled out in the disclosure text on Trump's digital fundraising platform, which has been updated to say that 10% of those donations will go towards his PAC, which is seriously called Save America. Hmm, feel like I know a company that should have trademarked the phrase (laughs) Save America. It seems uncomfortably close to something that already exists and is fairly widely known. 
Previously, just 1% of small donations were going towards payments for Trump's legal battles. Internet archival records show that the change may have happened as early as February or March of this year, which means that $1.5 million, give or take, has already been diverted to the Save America PAC. Now, what PACs technically can or can't pay for is still fairly murky. Thanks a lot, John Roberts. But the general consensus is that they can't directly pay for something that is for a candidate's personal gain. I'm sure Trump will figure out a way around that, as he always does. Moving on to some good news if you're a connoisseur of the drag arts. On Friday, a federal judge in Orlando blocked the state of Florida from enforcing its recent restrictions on drag performances, saying that the law likely violates the First Amendment. This comes just days after another federal judge overturned a law backed by Governor Ron DeSantis, which would have kept trans Floridians from getting gender-affirming care through Medicaid. The judge who granted Friday's injunction against the anti-drag law, which sought to ban minors from attending so-called obscene live performances, was too too broad, though he refused to dismiss it entirely. The law was challenged in a lawsuit brought by the restaurant chain Hamburger Mary's, which also features live drag performances at each of its locations. Friday's ruling also means the suit can move forward, so pull up a seat and order another side of fries because this show is gonna be a good one. I am so glad that the Supreme Court is finally going to determine that the First Amendment protects the freedom to serve. (laughs) And finally... If the news is already making you wonder out loud, where is an asteroid when you really need one? You're in luck, or in this case, maybe not. That's because a relatively small asteroid known to scientists as Asteroid 2023 MU2 casually zipped by Earth last night without incident. And by relatively small, that is, of course, in astronomical terms. It was estimated to be between 13 and 29 feet in diameter, about the size of a small house million-dollar house in Los Angeles. Uh, Though it swung through much closer to us than the moon normally does. And just like the next joke I'm going to tell, NASA saw this one coming last week and determined that there was only a very small chance of it actually landing. Ugh. I'm mad at the structure of that joke. I'm mad at it. Because I realized when I got to the end of it that I was doing a self-own meme. While space rocks zoom past our planet all the time, experts say it's only a matter of time before one of them knocks into us. Case in point, there is one about the size of an Olympic swimming pool heading our way right now. It currently has a 1 in 600 chance of hitting the Earth on Valentine's Day 2046, which is actually a better chance of you finding love by logging onto Tinder tonight. So, (laughs) there you go. Remember when we were all going um, crazy about that Don't Look Up movie on Netflix? Yeah. This feels similar. I I don't know. I don't even want to think about how meta it would be to see like (laughs) pundits on there saying exactly what Jennifer Lawrence said, but in a less charming manner. (laughs) All right. And those are the headlines. One more thing before we go. What happens when money, greed, and corruption overpower plans to revitalize a city on the brink of collapse? Dreamtown, the story of Adelanto, covers the rise and fall of a small California city known for its prisons, until a stranger came to town with a wild idea to make Adelanto great again, with weed. Search for Dreamtown, the story of Adelanto, and listen for free wherever you get your podcasts. And subscribe to Crooked's subscription community, Friends of the Pod, for early, ad-free episodes at crooked.com slash friends. 
that is all for today. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe, leave a review. Don't forget to tip your server at Drag Brunch and tell your friends to listen. And if you're into reading and not just the fine print of Donald Trump's campaign email like me, What a Day is also a nightly newsletter. Check it out and subscribe at crooked.com slash subscribe. I'm Aaron Ryan. I'm Trayvell Anderson. And, and bring, bring on, on the, the asteroids. asteroids. I mean, honestly, that would be a pretty quick way to go, right? I guess you're right. A one hit a quitter, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> What a Day is a production of Crooked Media. It's recorded and mixed by Bill Lance. Our show's producers, Itzy Quintanilla, Raven Yamamoto, and Natalie Bettendorf are our associate producers. Our intern is Ryan Cochran, and our senior producer is Lita Martinez. Our theme music is by Colin Gilliard and Kashaka. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.